So we'll uh, see what happens with the woodpeckers today. They were quiet this morning, so I anticipate they were waiting for the talk. Uh, Don Rakito observed that they basically, every time I went silent, they went silent, and every time I started talking, they started talking, <laughs> wanting to join, join in on the fun. Let's see. <clears throat> so I thought I'd um, start with uh, a sutta um, that uh, is kind of a classic sutta, and pointing to, uh, again, back to basics, the fundamentals of, of training uh, that we need to pay attention to, and, and um, uh, particularly in this case, a, a fairly junior monk who was starting out and maybe was a bit overconfident and then uh, incurred, encountered some difficulties and received some instruction uh, from the Buddha about appropriate themes uh, to contemplate. It's called, it's the Megya Sutta. Um, Megya is the name of the monk, and this is found in the collection of the Udana uh, suttas. So it's in chapter four, the first one. Thus have I heard, at one time, the Lord was staying at Chalika on Chalika Hill. At that time, the Venerable Megya was the Lord's attendant. Then the Venerable Megya approached the Lord, prostrated, him, prostrated himself, stood to one side and said, I wish to go into Jantu village for alms food, revered sir. Do now, Megya, what you think it is time to do. Then the Venerable Megya, having put on his robe in the forenoon, and taken his bowl and outer cloak, entered Jantu village for alms food. Having walked in Jantu village for alms food, after the meal, on returning from collecting alms food, he approached the bank of the river Kimikala. As he was walking and wandering up and down beside the river for exercise, he saw a pleasant and charming mango grove. On seeing it, he thought, this mango grove is very pleasant and charming. It is eminently suitable for the endeavor in meditation of a young man of good family who is intent on the endeavor. If the Lord were to give me permission, I would come and endeavor in this mango grove. Then the Venerable Megya approached the Lord, prostrated himself, sat down to one side and said, revered sir, having put on my robe in the forenoon, I approached the bank of the river Kimikala and saw a pleasant and charming mango grove. On seeing it, I thought, this mango grove is very pleasant and charming and eminently suitable for the endeavor of a young man of good family who is intent on that endeavor. If the Lord were to give me permission, I would come and endeavor in this mango grove. If, revered sir, the Lord gives me permission, I would go to that mango grove to endeavor. When this was said, the Lord replied to the Venerable Megia, As we are alone, Megia, wait a while until some other bhikkhu comes. A second time, the Venerable Megia said to the Lord, Revered Sir, the Lord has, has nothing further that should be done and nothing to add to what has been done. But for me, Revered Sir, there is something further that should be done and something to add to what has been done. If, Revered Sir, the Lord gives me permission, I would go to that mango grove to endeavor. A second time, the Lord replied to the Venerable Megia, as we are alone, Megia, wait a while until some other bhikkhu comes. A third time, the Venerable Megia said to the Lord, 
Revered sir, the Lord has nothing further that should be done, etc. As you are talking of endeavoring, Megia, what can I say? Do now, Megia, what you think it is time to do. Then the venerable Megia rose from his seat, prostrated himself before the Lord, and keeping his right side towards him, went to that mango grove. On entering that mango grove, he sat down at the foot of a certain tree for the rest period during the middle of the day. Now, while the venerable Megia was staying in that mango grove, there kept occurring to him three bad, unwholesome kinds of thoughts. Sensual thought, malevolent thought, and cruel thought. The venerable Megia then reflected, it is indeed strange, it is indeed remarkable. Although I have gone forth out of faith from home to the homeless state, yet I am overwhelmed by these three bad, unwholesome kinds of thoughts. Sensual thought, malevolent thought, and cruel thought. There's a footnote on this. According to the commentary, in 500 successive births, Megia had been a king. His royal park was located where that mango grove now stood, and he used to sit together with his dancing girls at the very spot under the tree where he had sat down for meditation. Thus, when he sat down at that spot, he felt as if his monkhood had left him, and his mind was overrun by fantasies of beautiful dancing girls. Also, in the lives as a king, at the same spot, he had ordered the execution and imprisonment, and imprisonment of bandits. And thus, when he sat there as Megia, malevolent and cruel thoughts arose in him. Then the venerable Megia, on emerging from seclusion in the late afternoon, approached the Lord, prostrated himself, sat down to one side, and said, Revered sir, while I was staying in that mango grove, there kept occurring to me three bad, unwholesome kinds of thoughts. And I thought, it is indeed strange. Buddha replies, when mind deliverance is as yet immature, Megia, five things lead to its maturity. What, five? Here, Megia, a bhikkhu has good friends, good associates, good companions. When mind deliverance is as yet immature, Megia, this is the first thing that leads to maturity. Furthermore, Megia, a bhikkhu is virtuous. He lives restrained by the restraint of the patimokkha, endowed with conduct and resort. Seeing danger in the smallest faults, he trains in the training rules he has accepted. When mind deliverance is as yet immature, Megia, this is the second thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Megia, a bhikkhu obtains at will, with no trouble or difficulty, talk that is effacing, a help in opening up the mind, and which conduces to complete turning away, dispassion, cessation, peace, direct knowledge, enlightenment, and nibbana. That is, talk about fewness of wishes, talk about contentment, talk about seclusion, talk about being non-gregarious, talk about putting forth energy, talk about virtue, talk about concentration, talk about wisdom, talk about deliverance, talk about the knowledge and vision of deliverance. When mind deliverance is as yet an immature megia, this is the third thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, megia, a bhikkhu lives with energy in, instigated for the abandoning of unwholesome states and the acquiring of wholesome states. He is vigorous, energetic, and perse persevering with regard to wholesome states. When mind deliverance is as yet immature, Megia, this is the fourth thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Megia, a bhikkhu is wise, endowed with the noble one's penetrative 
understanding of rise and disappearance, leading to the complete ending of suffering. When mind deliverance is as yet immature megia, this is the fifth thing that leads to its maturity. When mind deliverance is as yet immature megia, these five things lead to its maturity. It is expected of a bhikkhu who has good friends, good associates, good companions, that he will be virtuous, that he will live restrained by the restraint of the patimoka, endowed with conduct and resort, and seeing danger in the smallest faults. He will train in the training rules he has accepted. It is expected to be of a bhikkhu who has good friends that he will obtain at will with no trouble or difficulty, talk that is effacing, a help opening up the mind, talk about the knowledge and vision of deliverance. It is to be expected of a bhikkhu who has good friends that he will live with energy instigated, vigorous, energetic, and persevering with regard to wholesome states. It is to be expected of a bhikkhu who has good friends that he will be wise, endowed with the noble one's penetrative understanding of rise and disappearance, leading to the complete ending of suffering. A bhikkhu megya who is established in these five things should also cultivate four additional things. Uh, foulness, which is the uh, word that uh, John Ireland uses for asuba practice, so unattractiveness uh, particularly. Uh, should be cultivated for overcoming lust. Loving kindness should be cultivated for overcoming malevolence. Respiration mindfulness, which we usually say is mindfulness of breathing, should be cultivated for cutting off discursive thinking. The perception of impermanence should be cultivated for the removal of the conceit, I am. For when one perceives impermanence, Megia, the perception of not-self is established. When one perceives not-self, one reaches the removal of the conceit, I am, which is called Nibbana, here and now. So that's uh, the Buddha's instructions to Megia. Uh, I think something that probably all of us can still benefit from quite a bit. And I thought that um, just as a further theme uh, for a few more readings uh, this afternoon, that I'd concentrate on uh, one aspect of his instructions to Megia uh, and talk a little bit about um, contemplation of the body. Um, in this particular case, the Asuba practice, uh, contemplation of the body being, of course, uh, most of you have heard over and over and over again, a hallmark of our uh, tradition here, um, always referring back to the body. And I think it's a good time to bring that to mind uh, now, too, at the you know, relative beginning of a retreat. We're into it uh, about a week and a half now. <clears throat> and um, just to really underlie or, or underscore the, uh, the need for being grounded in the body, I think, you know, with intense quiet and longer periods of meditation, either walking or sitting, um, it's easy to kind of get a little bit out of the body. Um, maybe some people are experiencing out-of-body experiences. <laughs> um, and you can get into kinds of zombie absorption, you know, easily enough. Um, either kind of spinning out into, you know, high level, you know, other levels of consciousness, alternate levels of consciousness with intense uh, quiet and um, uh, 
intensive practice or very single-pointed internal experiences uh, or just you know involved it's easy to get wrapped up in obsessions uh, at, at this particular point too uh, things are starting to percolate up that we were distracted from before so any of those things that kind of get us out of the body uh, either too broad uh, an awareness or too narrow an awareness or just uh, heavy distractions always good to remind ourselves to to come back to the body and the Buddha talks about that uh, just in and of itself uh, in some very clear and direct ways. Um, I'm going to read a few selections here from the Anguttara Ones uh, under the section Mindful, Mindfulness Directed to the Body. <laughs> Bhikkhus, even as one who encompasses with his mind the great ocean, includes thereby all the streams that run into the ocean, just so, whoever develops and cultivates mindfulness directed to the body includes all wholesome qualities that pertain to true knowledge. Bhikkhus, one thing, when developed and cultivated, leads to a strong sense of urgency, leads to great good, leads to great security from, bond from bondage, leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension, leads to the attainment of knowledge and vision, leads to a pleasant dwelling in this very life leads to realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. This is the one thing that when developed and cultivated leads to realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. Because when one thing is developed and cultivated, the body becomes tranquil, the mind becomes tranquil, thought and examination subside, and all wholesome qualities that pertain to true knowledge reach fulfillment by development. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, when one thing is developed and cultivated, unarisen, unwholesome qualities do not arise, and arisen, wholesome qualities are abandoned. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, when one thing is developed and cultivated, unarisen, wholesome qualities arise, and arisen, wholesome qualities increase and expand. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, when one thing is developed and cultivated, ignorance is abandoned, true knowledge arises. The conceit, I am, is abandoned. The underlying tendencies are uprooted. The fetters are abandoned. What is the one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, when one thing, when developed and cultivated, leads to differentiation by wisdom, leads to nibbana through non-clinging. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Because when one thing is developed and cultivated, penetration of numerous elements occurs. Penetration of the diversity of elements, analytical knowledge of numerous elements. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Because when one thing, when one thing when developed and cultivated leads to realization of the fruit of stream entry, to realization of the fruit of once returning, to realization of the fruit of non-returning, to realization of the fruit of arahantship, what is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, when one, th one thing, when developed and cultivated, leads to the obtaining of wisdom, to the growth of wisdom, the expansion of wisdom, the greatness of wisdom, the diversity of wisdom, the vastness of wisdom, the depth of wisdom, to a state of unsurpassed wisdom, breadth of wisdom, abundance of wisdom, 
rapidity of wisdom, buoyancy of wisdom, joyousness of wisdom, swiftness of wisdom, keenness of wisdom, to penetrativeness of wisdom. What is that one thing? Mindfulness directed to the body. So if you're not convinced yet, <laughs> there's more. And <laughs> uh, moving into the next subchapter, bhikkhus, they do not partake of the death- deathless who do not partake of mindfulness directed to the body. They partake of the deathless who partake of mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, they have fallen away from the deathless who have fallen away from mindfulness directed to the body. They have not fallen away from the deathless who have not fallen away from mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, they have neglected the deathless who have neglected mindfulness directed to the body. They are heedless about the deathless who are heedless about mindfulness directed to the body. They have forgotten the deathless who have forgotten mindfulness directed to the body. They have not pursued the deathless who have not pursued mindfulness directed to the body. They have not developed the deathless who have not developed mindfulness directed to the body. They have not cultivated the deathless who have not cultivated mindfulness directed to the body. They have not directly known the deathless who have not directly known mindfulness directed to the body. They have not fully understood the deathless who have not fully understood mindfulness directed to the body. Bhikkhus, they have not realized the deathless who have not realized mindfulness directed to the body. They have realized the deathless who have realized mindfulness directed to the body. Okay. If you need any, any justification for mindfulness of the body practice, there you go. So as um, people are probably aware, uh, it's elucidated uh, in several uh, contemplations in uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, Majjhima number 10. Um, and I thought I'd um, read uh, a, few of, uh, a few of them particularly. Of course, mindfulness of breathing is uh, the most commonly practiced uh, contemplation of the body. I'm not going to read that because we're all pretty familiar with that. All five of them in, in the uh, foundations in the Satipatthana Sutta, mindfulness of breathing, Awareness of the four postures, uh, uh, being in full awareness, the um, foulness or the asubha practice, uh, the nine charnel ground cemetery contemplations, uh, and the elements. Sorry, I skipped the elements, contemplation of the elements. So I'm going to read uh, a few of these, starting with um, the uh, asubha, the bodily, the th- contemplation of the 32 parts of the body. And just uh, at the outset of the retreat, uh, for those who haven't picked it up uh, as a practice, just to encourage that, uh, I found it a, a fundamental um, practice that Lung Pao encouraged me in my very first year as an Anagarika uh, to practice uh, with the 32 parts pretty much exclusively uh, as my uh, kamatana, my meditation object, my meditation theme, uh, and found that it was of great benefit at that time and even now. Um, these days. So we have it in the chant, in the morning chanting book, um, or in the chanting book, oftentimes we chant it as a reflection to memorize it, Pali, English, however, uh, practice visualization using books and pictures, uh, and bring it into, uh, if, if you feel inclined in any way whatsoever, bring it into a full, uh, into a daily practice. So this is starting in uh, Satipatthana Sutta, um, in the section on contemplation of the body. 
Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin, as full of many kinds of impurity, thus. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. And then uh, later on, it's not mentioned here, but later on, uh, uh, it, uh, the brain is added. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends, full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, and a man with good eyes were to open it and review it thus. This is hill rice. This is red rice. These are beans. These are peas. This is millet. This is white rice. So too a bhikkhu reviews the same body as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this body there are head hairs, etc., and through to the end. In this way he, he abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, both internally and externally. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body. And so I just want to um, emphasize uh, again this particular contemplation. And we'll, I'll go over uh, the refrain in just a minute um, that kind of accompanies this and the other, and the other each of the other ones. Um, that uh, it's not just a super practice. The thirty-two parts isn't just um, for the sake of reducing sensual desire, sexual lust. Uh, it uh, covers. I, I find a whole gamut of. Uh, uh, aspects of contemplation, both it's just very settling, very cooling. It's a samatha practice in itself. Uh, once you've memorized it and uh, just just merely repeating it, um, it can really settle the mind just as it is, as a as a recitation, like a mantra. Um, of course, the asuba aspect of it, when you bring it into uh, both recitation and uh, visualization and even tactile experience. You can feel many of these body parts uh, in your meditation when you're reviewing them. Some are pretty subtle. Uh, some are pretty obvious, like the heartbeat, the breathing, uh, the lungs, uh, bowels. Uh, you can you know, really get uh, feelings in the body. So to uh, incorporate all of those aspects uh, in the meditation uh, as a way of uh, settling the mind, cooling the mind, and then also a um, very strong uh, basis for developing insight. Uh, and the insight uh, phraseology here uh, is, in this way he abides contemplating the body as a body internally, or he abides contemplating the body as a body externally, or he abides contemplating the body as a body both internally and externally. Or else he abides contemplating in the body its nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in the body its nature of vanishing. 
or he abides contemplating in the body its nature of both arising and vanishing. So both looking internally, externally, one's own body, another body, another person's body, internally, externally, uh, contemplating the body as the 32 parts. Uh, also contemplating the uh, imperma- impermanence aspect, uh, the anicca, uh, the constantly changing uh, experience of the body, its aging as well. Or else mindfulness that, quote, there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And I think that's a very um, profound kind of uh, expression. It sounds very simple. There is a body. Well, of course, there is a body. But it's referring, I think, to the uh, anatta aspect of it, that it's just simply that perception. There is a body um, just to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness, Uh, not making anything more out of it, not evaluating it, not judging it in any way, but just experiencing it in and of itself uh, as it it is, uh, uh, very simple and straightforward. And in that way, you can really get to feel the um, uh, lack of of self uh, in regards to the body in any way. The body is doing what the body does. It has its own intelligence, has its own nature. You don't really need to do anything uh, except for feed it and take care of its rudimentary functions. Uh, It it has a whole life of its own. The heartbeat keeps beating whether you are aware of it or not. The breathing keeps happening whether you're aware of it or not. Um, And it gets old and sick and and dies on its own schedule. Uh, And it's pretty uh, a pretty independent uh, acting kind of a thing. And once you really experience that deeply and repetitively over and over, then the uh, insight uh, into not-self has the the possibility of uh, appearing in your experience. And and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That That too is how Bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body. Then in the same section in in that sutta uh, are the reflections on the elements. Again, a bhikkhu reviews this same body, however it is placed, however disposed, by way of elements. Thus, in this body there are earth element, water element, fire element, and air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at the crossroads with it cut up into pieces, So, too, a bhikkhu reviews this same body by way of the elements thus. In this body there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. And then the same refrain. In this way he contemplates, abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, uh, arising, ceasing, and uh, there is simply, uh, there is a body. And uh, often overlooked Contemplation also in this section, the nine charnel ground contemplations, um, very useful. Again, bhikkhus, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two, or three days dead, bloated, livid, and oozing matter. A bhikkhu compares this same body with it thus. This body, too, is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. Again, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, being devoured by crows, hawks, vultures, 
dogs, jackals, or various kinds of worms. A bhikkhu compares this same body with it thus. This body, too, is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. Again, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, a skeleton with flesh and blood held together with sinews, and then a fleshless skeleton smeared with blood held together with sinews, a skeleton without flesh and blood held together with sinews, disconnected bones scattered in all directions, here a hand bone, there a foot bone, here a shin bone, there a thigh bone, here a hip bone, there a backbone, here a rib bone, there a breast bone, here an arm bone, there a shoulder bone, here a neck bone, there a jaw bone, here a tooth, there the skull. Habiku compares this same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. Again, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, bones bleached white, the colors of shells, bones heaped up, bones more than a year old, rotted, crumbled to dust. A bhikkhu compares this same body with it thus. This body, too, is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. And then, in the same way, he abides contemplating the body as a body, internally, externally, arising, vanishing, and mindful that there is a body. This, too, is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body. So, very potent uh, images, very potent reflections, um, very important contemplations. Um, I find just just uh, uh, for myself that picking this up, uh, using this contemplation uh, often in the mornings, the very first um, early morning sit, uh, you know, my, my mind might still be a bit groggy or still coming out of uh, the sleep realm. It, you know, uh, after getting up, even after doing exercise, walking down the hill, all that stuff. Uh, sometimes there's still a bit of um, uh, dullness. And picking this up rather than trying to do uh, uh, anapanasati uh, is very useful uh, in staying alert, having an active contemplation, and also really grounding uh, the awareness uh, in the physical sensations of the body. Otherwise, it's easy to get lost in that kind of swimming mind um, early in the morning or whenever it feels appropriate for yourself. Uh, and then the uh, cemetery contemplations as well, um, very potent visualization, and just imagining one's own body going through that deterioration process uh, and then just turning into a pile of dust and being blown into the wind. Just, uh, yeah, there, I was going to read another section from the Giri Mananda Sutta on the dangers, which gives a, a nice list of all sorts of diseases <laughs> that the body can go into. But we're just, it's almost, it's five, five past two now, so maybe I'll, I'll leave people to read that on their own. So just a few uh, back-to-basics contemplations, uh, expanding beyond our uh, expanding beyond our uh, use of just Anapanasati. Uh, five of these here in the contemplation of, of the body section. Uh, very useful, or maybe six actually. Um, very useful contemplations uh, to pick up. 
and remember and use frequently. Any uh, particular comments or thoughts or questions about the, the use of this practice or from the Megia Sutta? I like the uh, Megia Sutta because it's one of those realistic things where you vignettes with the Buddha kind of, uh, can I do this? Can I do this? And the Buddha is just kind of like, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. You asked me three times, I guess I can't refuse. <laughs> And then he, in his own words, says, I told you so. <laughs> Just a, a thought I had, a comment. Um, I've noticed over many years of uh, being around the, the Sangha in various places um, that it's, 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 I still am I'm curious. I'm still not quite sure. I haven't really entered into a discussion with it. Uh, about it with uh, some of the very senior monks. But in the West, the, the contemplation of the 32 parts is uh, very rarely uh, taught. Um, uh, I you know, have heard, assume, and have experienced it much more commonly uh, encouraged in, in Thailand, uh, in the monastic communities, basically from the very beginning, you know, two basic contemplations that everybody should take up are the contemplation of the 32 parts of the body and, and also metta bhavana to kind of give it a bit of a balance on the energetic level. Um, but uh, even in the monastic communities in the West, um, I, it's rare. I think Lung Pao, you were the only one who I've heard, I mean, you encouraged it for me right, in the, right from the get-go. Of course, you were just fresh from Thailand at that time, but, um, but it's something that I think is sadly neglected, maybe because um, some people feel it might be too off-putting, um, too alienating, too kind of icky, <laughs> uh, not positive, life-affirming kinds of uh, contemplation. So, um, and and Apanasati, of course, is, is strongly encouraged as it should be because it's, you know, a very universal uh, practice that's good for some so much of everything, but. Particularly people, and this is not exclusive to monastics. Um, I've heard uh, um, more than a few lay people uh, who had heard these for the first time uh, coming here. Sometimes when I've been talking about it, you know, sort of like, oh, I remember Iris Landsberg. Um, the first time I was talking about this in some group discussion or something over there in the in the the dining hall. Um, she said, uh, she was just like gobsmacked. She said, why have you been hiding this from us? <laughs> you know, why haven't you, why haven't you uh, uh, mentioned this before? She says, this is what we need to hear. So I try and make it, I try and share it uh, often enough, um, but uh, still find it uh, to this day uh, a very important uh, part of the practice. Memo. Ajahn, uh you mentioned that uh, during the contemplation of the 32 parts of the body, you do visualization. But uh, for instance, I tend to be visual, but at the same time get tired uh, when visualizing too, uh, too many, uh, or for many, for many amount of time doing visualization. What would be another strategy to do uh, contemplation of the body that doesn't involve that much of, a, of visualization? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, there's different aspects that uh, you can do, as I was mentioning, just the mere memorization of the words and the recitation of them. Um, in and of itself, it can be very soothing, just almost like a mantra. Um, and, um, and then um, the other aspect, the third aspect that I find very useful is that um, when you're sitting and your mind has gone, you know, relatively quiet and you are, you can feel the body like you're, you're, you're not just lost in a, a swirl of, of uh, concepts, thoughts, that kind of thing, or words, uh, to really uh, shift your attention to the, the experience of the body, particularly to what, what's called the autonomic uh, processes, the, the uh, processes that just go naturally, like heartbeat, which you can feel if you're quiet enough, you can feel your heartbeat or the pulsing uh, in the body throughout your limbs as well as the center of the chest, to tune into that experience. The breathing, of course, um, you know, is, a, is an autonomic process. You know, try and stop your breathing for more than 10 or 15 seconds, and, you know, the body just says, you know, the body just thumbs its nose at you and says, forget it, you know, and it starts, it takes over again. Um, so just to, to notice those qualities, or even more subtle ones, like subtle movements of twitching in the face, little muscles doing things like that, uh, a shifting of posture that is almost kind of, you know, subconscious. Um, just the very little movements that a body goes through. Just really tune in, you know, uh, encourage yourself, okay, I'm going to stay as still as possible. I'm not going to move. You know, no matter what, I'm not going to move. And then see if the body obeys you, you know. You know, watch those little twitches behind the eyes or the swallowing of saliva or, you know, just a constant little shift of the back or the, you know, something to straighten up. And the body's always looking for a position to be in that's just a little more comfortable, you know. Um, and you don't have to be really conscious. You know, most of the time you're not really conscious of that. And the body's just, it's got its own intelligence, like I was saying, it does what it does. Or when you're walking even, noticing how you don't have to, you don't have to consciously think, lift the knee, push the leg forward, put the foot down, shift the weight, do the same thing with the other leg. You know, I mean, the, the body just does it. So noticing that kind of, um, those subtle automatic processes that the body just does all the time. And, and um, you know, all the internal organs, uh, some of them you can feel, some of them you can't feel so easily. Like, I've, I've never been able to actually feel my spleen. <laughs> but... You know, I can get a sense of density in some of the other areas, uh, the larger organs, the stomach, the intestines, uh, maybe even a little bit of the liver sometimes. Um, and just to uh, yeah, experience those uh, subtle tactile qualities. And then, you know, eventually allowing it to move to more of the subtle energies of, of uh, the energies that course through the body. Um, um, or moving towards the elemental aspects of it, which is a you know more generalized experience of density, like the earth element, fluidity, um, liquidity, um, airiness—not just the breath coming in and out, but also the, the coursing of energies. 
and then heat or cold as you experience it. You know, those broad categories kind of uh, are very good ways to contemplate um, the body. With that, gaining that perspective of, of anatta, this is not mine, this is not me, I'm not in control, I'm not in control of this. Yeah, I can influence it a little bit here and there, but I'm not in control. And stepping back and letting the body just be the body and detaching yourself from any sense of identification or ownership over it uh, is another way to use the 32 parts. But I do encourage the visuals. I mean, the visualization, you know, with you can, you can develop the images in your mind so that they're not quite so, you don't have to force yourself to, to generate them, but you have to, it, you know, you do have to put some intention behind it to do that, and you have to, I think most people benefit from looking at images, like in a you know, text, medical textbook or uh, photographs or some of the Asuba photos that you can find uh, on various websites, and to really burn them into your visual memory so that when you're going through it and you say hair of the head, that image just pops up. You, know, you don't have to kind of like uh, put a lot of effort into it. So it's a matter of habituation um, to, to get those images going. But this awareness of the body, um, and particularly the tactile, like just when you're walking up and down the hill, just the more often you can remind yourself, oh, uh, there is a body, and separate a sense of ownership from that, from that experience of the body. Just that repetitive uh, pulling your mindfulness to that uh, practice uh, can really produce some profound results in terms of, of how you relate to it as not me, not mine. Any comments from Wungpa, Janyanako, further experiences or anything before we wrap it up? And well, in that case, it's 2.15. Happy contemplating this afternoon.